This past week, I received uh, several text messages uh, and emails from family. I love it. Uh, I have, if you don't know, I have four daughters, and I have two granddaughters. And uh, both my granddaughters wanted me to tell you all hi today. Nora is three, and Lucy is six weeks old, but they wanted me to tell you hi today. Uh, but this past week, I, I was, uh, I, I, it was a pretty busy week. I was in a lot of meetings, but I, I got a text message from one of my daughters that said, Daddy, I, I'm taking the, uh, my car to the uh, uh, car fixer upper place, and uh, it, it, there's something hanging down, and, and they want to change the oil and change this and change that. What do you think I ought to do? And I said, you know, do your own thing, whatever. No, I, I said, okay, honey, here's what I think you ought to do. You ought to do this, this, and that. But they're going to ask you to do another thing because they want to, and you just tell them you don't want to do that. And she said, okay, and that was great. And then I got a, a video from another daughter who will remain mentioned, although she's in the room today. Uh, she sent me a video of her arm, and her arm was swollen. And she said, what do you, you know, what do you think is wrong? And I said, I, I don't know. I don't care. You do you. Of course not. She said, what do you think's wrong? I said, and so I gave her uh, my explanation. I said, you know, I said, well, I've got a doctorate, but not that kind of doctorate. But here, let me tell you, let me tell you what I think. So I, I said, I said this, this, and this, and, and, and here's what you ought to do. Here's what you ought to do. Here's what you ought to do. And, and, and so I, I, let me help. And I got a, a text and email from another daughter and said, I, I have to write an essay I thought my days of writing essays for my daughters were over. <laughs> I didn't say that. You know what I said? I said, of course I'll look at it. I want to help. Anything I can do, let me help. Now, I'm, a, I'm not a great dad. I'm an okay dad. I have imperfect love, but even with my imperfection, even with my own crazy. As a dad, I want to help the ones I love. It's built in. It's baked into who I am. And as a fathers or mothers or grandparents, you understand that. You get that. Today, we're looking at Jesus, and his love is a perfect love. His love is a life-giving love. And the one who loves us is the one who is seeking our good. I thought that maybe this message, it, it, we, we got to do some twists and turns in it. But in, in Mark chapter 2, we're looking at verses 23 through chapter 3, verse 6. And, and as we're looking at this passage, it kind of give you some, a backdrop uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 12, Jesus encounters a guy that's paralyzed. Um, this is where the four friends tear off the roof of the, uh, of the house and drop the paralyzed man in front of Jesus. Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the man, your sins are forgiven you. The Pharisees get upset. They say, who can forgive sin but God alone? And Jesus said, so that you might know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sin. He looked at the man, the paralyzed man, and said, uh, rise, take up your bed, and go, go your way. And the man did. He was healed. 
And so Jesus heals this man. And, and beginning in verse 13 through verse 16, we, uh, verse 17, we have Jesus who, again, in the city of Capernaum, the village of Capernaum, uh, he uh, encounters a tax collector named Levi. And you remember last week we said, anytime we hear the term tax collector, the crowd would say, boo, right? All right, y'all great. Okay, so the, uh, Jesus encounters Levi and, and uh, says, uh, follow me. And Levi leaves everything, the tax table, and he follows Jesus. His life took a new direction. His life had been transformed by his encounter with Jesus. And so he threw a party for himself. He, uh, he, he had friends whom, need, whom he wanted to encounter Jesus and experience the life change that he had experienced. And so uh, he invites Jesus and his friends to come to the banquet celebrating his discipleship. And, and uh, so they all show up at Levi's house. Uh, but all of Levi's friends, they weren't the church-going folk. They were the bad, the very bad, the very, very, very bad people that, that we would say, you know, they're the, uh, they're the uh, scoundrels in culture and society. They're from the wrong side of the track. They're doing very bad, bad, bad things. They are called, uh, in Mark's gospel, tax collectors and sinners, and Jesus hangs out with them, and uh, the Pharisees the Pharisees get upset about this. You see, Pharisees had a, they were really mad all the time. Anyway, Pharisees get upset about Jesus hanging out at this banquet, and Jesus responds, Mark two seventeen. Uh, it says, uh, "People who are well have no need of a physician. I have come not uh, for those who suppose they're righteous, but uh, to call sinners." To repentance, Jesus said, "I've come to help those who know they're sick," and uh, and and so Jesus responded. Then, then um, last Wednesday night online at six o'clock, we looked at verses eighteen through twenty-two. And verse eighteen through twenty-two, another conflict with the Pharisees. They got mad because Jesus, um, uh, his disciples, did not fast. Um, and uh, Jesus did. Jesus uh, himself fasted. Fasting was not the issue. The issue was that these religious dudes were trying to put their religious conviction upon the disciples and make it theirs. And um, uh, that Jesus said, "Look, uh, while the bridegroom is at the party, everybody throws a party. Everybody feasts. It's a time of joy, not for fasting." And the point there is if you are connected with Jesus, get this, get this, get this. If you are connected to Jesus by faith, it's a season of joy for you, even in bad circumstances, even in bad times, because you are connected to life itself. You're connected to the one who is the Lord over all things. And in a couple of weeks, next week is Mother's Day, so it's going to be fine. But, but in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at how Jesus is the Lord over creation. He is the Lord over death. He is the Lord over demons. He is the Lord over everything. And when we're walking hand in hand with the Lord over all, the Lord of life and the Lord over death, friends, we can have joy, even when everything around us seems like sink, it's sinking. And so it's a season of joy when we're Jesus. Now, beginning in verse 23, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23, Jesus, we have uh, two uh, conflicts that Jesus has with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were upset because Jesus and his followers did not conform to their meticulous rules about the Sabbath. So to understand what the, what the setting was for 223 through 36, let me kind of give you a snapshot 
about the Sabbath. If you look in Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? All right. And then on the seventh day, God, the seventh day is the Sabbath. It's baked into creation. Uh, what did God make on the sixth day? Humanity, right? Male and female, God created them, right? And, and so uh, God created, the, the high point of, cri- uh, of God's creative work was making man and woman. And then on the seventh day, he rested, all right? And so God baked it into creation itself that he made humanity. And then on the seventh day, he built in rest, for the benefit of humanity, it's, you find it in Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. This is the Ten Commandments, right? Moses goes up on a mountain. God says, I'm going to give you ten rules that, that uh, you will follow. If you follow these ten rules, you'll be blessed. If you don't follow these ten rules, you'll be cursed. So one of the ten was uh, keep the Sabbath and, uh, and make it holy. He's saying, saying, honor the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seventh day. It's the seventh day of creation. It's the day, and and, in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, he says, six days you work, but on the seventh day you rest. Exactly. The purpose of the Sabbath was for the good of humanity. For the good of people. It's baked in to the rhythm of God's creation that we should rest and find refreshment in the presence of God. And that's what the Sabbath was established for. But the religious leaders over time developed meticulous rules on how that the law of the Sabbath was more important than the people for whom the Sabbath was created. The Sabbath was all about rules for the Pharisees. It wasn't about rest. So as we look at Mark 2, 23 through 36, we're going to look at this passage, all right? And just keep in mind the meticulous rules that the Pharisees had for the Sabbath. And as you're thinking about that, think about what Jesus, how he responds and what he says, and how that relates to us today. Remember, Jesus is the one who seeks our good. The Sabbath was given to us by God for our good. All right? So let's, and I don't want this to be a theological, doctrinal uh, uh, lesson on the Sabbath. I want us to see, because although that's fine and dandy, um, I think there's something more important for us than understanding the intricacies of the Sabbath. All right? So beginning in verse uh, Mark chapter 2, beginning in uh, verse 23. Now, it happened that Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you see? Uh, And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful for the Sabbath? So y'all get the picture. They were walking along the field and the wheat at the end of the stalk had this this, uh, kernels of wheat. And the disciples were passing through on the lane, and they would take that, uh, uh, that, the kernels, they would run it through their hands, they would sift through the bad stuff, and then they would eat the kernels. And apparently that's breaking the rule. Crazy. All right. I kid you not. 
And so, verse 25, Jesus said to the Pharisees, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? And he said, to, and, and, and he and those with him, how he went, this is 1 Samuel 20, uh, 21, I believe. Uh, how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests. And he also gave some to those who were with him. So Jesus says, you're crazy about your meticulous rules, but even if you were right, um, uh, David, who was the anointed one, had the right, even by, given by God, to go to and get the showbread off the altar and feed the people when they were hungry. And, it, you know, again... The rule was important, but not as important as the person. You see what I'm saying? All right. Now, verse 27 and 28 is the, the key passage for the whole. Okay? Verse 27 and 28 is the, is the key passage for the, for the, end, uh, the whole passage, the key, key verses for the whole passage that we're looking at. Look at verse 27 and 28. So Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Chapter 3, verse 1, And Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. All right, again, get the picture. They were watching a guy who had a withered hand. They knew that if the withered hand man got in front of Jesus, Jesus would most likely heal the withered hand. But that was against their rules. It was against their rules, the meticulous rules of the Sabbath, to heal on the seventh day. There's something messed up. Some weird priorities that were going on. So here's how Jesus responds to that. And Jesus uh, said to the man who had the withered hand, come here. Verse 4, and Jesus said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent because they knew that was a trap. And when Jesus looked around, uh, when Jesus looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the stubbornness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. His hand was restored as whole as the other. And the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against Jesus how they might kill him. So, I, so again, get the, get the whole scenario here. The religious guys were upset because Jesus didn't follow the meticulous rules that they had set in place for the Sabbath. Jesus, however, didn't care because he himself, the Son of Man, Son of God, God himself in flesh, he has come as the Lord of the Sabbath to do good, to deliver good, to seek the good for us. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath who seeks our good. This is the message, and it's beyond Sabbath. It's beyond the principle of the Sabbath or the, or the promise of the Sabbath. It is to understand that the Sabbath becomes the launch pad for us to get the bigger picture that Jesus seeks our good. He does. We know he does. Hey, just look at the setting here. Jesus is seeking the good 
of humanity. That's why the Sabbath itself was baked into the, uh, to the rhythm of daily and weekly life, that the Sabbath would be a season of refreshing in the presence of God, a season of rejuvenation for the people of God in the presence of God so that we might find rest. The Sabbath was baked in. It wasn't baked in as a set of meticulous rules for us to follow. The the Sabbath was baked in so that we might be the beneficiaries of God's design. So when Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, I'm going to tell you the priorities about what the Sabbath should be. And it's about seeking the good for you and for me. So as we, as we look at this, just two points in this message, and then, and then we'll, we'll move on. All right, two points. First one, if Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath who seeks our good, we know that that's good news for us because when we are connected to Jesus, we are blessed. We experience a life that is soaked in satisfaction, consumed with contentment. Now, the reason we can be confident that we can have a life of, that is blessed when we're connected to Jesus. Because as we walk hand in hand with Jesus, we're walking hand in hand with the one who seeks our good. Jesus is seeking your good. With perfect love, perfect wisdom, perfect truth, perfect holiness, he is seeking your good. And so we need to celebrate the Lord who seeks our good. Uh, every time we gather together for a weekend gathering, whether it's at 9 or 10.30 or 5 or whether we do it in Spanish or Haitian or uh, 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 Russian, uh, uh, we get together so that we can celebrate the Lord who is seeking our good. At this context, Jesus ignores the complaint of the Pharisees who are all about following a meticulous set of rules, and he was all about helping those who are hungry get a little food. He, he was more interested, not in the rules, but in the intent of the law itself. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for the benefit of man. So if a man is hungry and he walks by and he plucks some popcorn off the stalk and eats it, that's good. And Jesus is setting a principle. He's saying, look, I'm all about seeking your good. My disciples were hungry. They ate. That's good. The man with the withered hand becomes even more poignant. So here's a guy who has a withered hand, and the, the religious dudes were, I mean, they were evaluating. They were watching with, with, under a microscope whether Jesus would heal this man because healing, was a, uh, healing on the Sabbath was breaking their rule. Their rule was you, sh you can have no creative work. I mean, some of y'all be in trouble, y'all scrapbooker type people. means you couldn't pin something on your Pinterest board. Creative work. Uh, seriously, this is, this is their thinking. And Jesus is like, oh, oh. here's a guy with a withered hand. Come on, wake up. Let me do good. And Jesus is interested in the good of the person, 
more than the meticulous rules that somebody's made up. Like Jesus leaving the throne room of heaven, being born in a manger in a stable in Bethlehem, and living his life perfectly without sin, blemish, or fault, so that he might die on a cross in your place and mine to pay the penalty that our sin demanded and to offer a pathway of forgiveness that we could not earn ourselves. Yes, Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, God made flesh and dwelt among us. He came for our good so that we might be forgiven our sin and be part of God's family. We celebrate. There are some, man, we we like to celebrate a lot of things. Sometimes we celebrate celebrate, uh, uh, the birth of a baby. That's good. It's a gift from God. We celebrate food that we eat, all you foodies out there. We celebrate food that we eat. That's good. It's a gift from God. I celebrate Edie made me Congo squares last night. That, oh, you'll get a picture this afternoon. Stay tuned. I celebrate that. That's a gift from God and from my wife. We celebrate the gift, but are we celebrating the giver? Guys, we need to turn our focus. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. We celebrate the giver, not merely the gift. I want you to think about how Jesus is the one who seeks your good because he provides the pathway for you to experience this blessing of life. When we are connected with Jesus, we are blessed because he seeks our good. So let's celebrate the Lord who seeks our good. He is the Lord of love who dies for our sin to forgive us and to bring us into his family. He is the good shepherd who, Psalm 23, is the good shepherd who guides us to green pastures and cool waters who restores us in the midst of wilderness moments, who protects us in our daily routines, who provides for us our daily bread, who walks with us from here all the way to eternity. Jesus seeks our good. He's our high priest, Hebrews chapter 4. He's our high priest, and right now he wants to intercede for you. We come boldly before the throne of grace that we might find, Hebrews 4, 16, we might find the grace and the mercy to help us in our time of need. He's the Lord of love who dies for our sin, forgives us and brings us into his family. He's our good shepherd who guides us to green pastures, to still waters, who refreshes us in our weariness, protects us in our walk. He is our high priest who comforts us with grace and mercy at our point of need. He is strength in our weakness, hope in our helplessness, help in our trouble, joy in our sadness, truth in our confusion, and light in our darkness. Jesus is the one who gives these wondrous life, life-fulfilling gifts to us if we will hold his hand and walk with him. Celebrate Jesus, the Lord, who gives us the good. But that 
that leads us to point two. We need to submit to the Lord for our good. So, um, you know, you watch movies and Rocky Balboa goes to the chapel when Adrian is having, you know, not sure if she's going to wake up from giving birth to a baby and it may, she may die, so we see Rocky in the chapel. Y'all, y'all remember that? It's Rocky 2. Yeah, okay. Don't see Rocky in the chapel hardly any other time. But that moment, he was at the chapel. It was an emergency. He needed some emergency help. It becomes a scenario um, in, in, in our culture that uh, God's good when you really need help. When, when things are really, really bad, go to God. And I'm not saying he's not there ready to help. He is. But why wait? I mean, why wait for that? Man, I need Jesus every day. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Others have said it. I need Jesus more than I need Walmart. I need Jesus more. I mean, really, I need Jesus more than I need chocolate. I need Jesus more than I need any other relationship because he is the Lord, the king of creation. He made everything. If he is the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying, look, I'm the one who set this blessing in front of you. So you need to submit to me. And when we submit to the Lord, the result is our good. Oh, if you don't get anything else, just get this. If you submit to the Lord, the result is our good. When, when we um, wake up in the morning, do we think we've got everything under control? See, I, I, I do. Dumb. I mean, dumb as mud. But I think, I think I've got it under control. I've, I've got this. I've got this. But wisdom reminds me quickly I don't. The Pharisees thought they had everything under control. They thought that they could tell Jesus how life was supposed to be going. They thought that they could tell Jesus how everything's supposed to operate. They thought that they could tell Jesus um, what Jesus ought to be about. And Jesus is like, have you lost your mind? The problem was they didn't, they didn't recognize, believe who Jesus is or was. They didn't recognize him as Lord. But when we get here, at least we are acting like we believe Jesus is Lord. And if we believe Jesus is Lord, that means that he knows better than you or me how life should operate. So when Jesus says, Eric... Uh, for your marriage to be satisfying and healthy for both you and Edie, here's what you need to do. You need to love your wife the way Christ loves the church. What would happen if I responded and said, God, let's not get crazy on this. To my shame, there have been those moments. 
Edie's been gracious and loving in return. But man, that messes up a marriage. When you don't do marriage the way God has designed it, the way Jesus tells us to do it, the result is not good. The result is tragedy. And there may, there may be grace on the other side, but man, why do you walk through the tragedy of ignoring what Jesus tells us to do because you think you've got the answers yourself? And your family, your finances. See, Jesus tells us. So if I wake up in the morning and think, man, I got this, it changes quickly because I've set up a system for my own stupidity. Y'all need to write that one down. That's really good. <laughs> I set up a system for my own stupidity. I get alone, no distractions, and I open the Bible, and I spend time with Jesus so I can hear and so I can obey. Greatest tragedies in my life have happened because I've not submitted it shouldn't be a surprise for a preacher dude or for a follower of Jesus because that's exactly what the Bible tells us. Now, just, just look this way, please. If we listen and obey Jesus, he leads us to the good. If we submit to Jesus, he leads us to the good. Spend time with him in the morning and let him redirect your thoughts and reorient your life that day. I open the Bible and I read a passage or a paragraph or a sentence or, uh, and, and then I write down, this is, what, this is what Jesus wants from me today. This is, this is what he's saying to me today. So I'm going to submit myself to him. Because I know he's the Lord and he knows better than I how to live, how I should live, how I experience good in life. Or I can be like the Pharisees, ignore what he says. Jesus has given us the Bible to let us understand and hear and know how to do life. And if we submit to what he says in his word, he leads us to the good. If we don't submit, we grieve his heart and it leads to bad stuff for us and for those around us. If you look at verse 5, Chapter 3, verse 5. Listen, it says that Jesus experienced two emotions. What, what were those emotions? Anger and sorrow, grief. What was the cause of his anger and his sorrow? Stubborn heart. Hard heart. 
getting, ed- getting to the edge because I, I want you to lean in with me. Your stubborn heart and mine grieves the heart of Christ because he knows how it's going to end up for us. Certainly the holiness of God is offended and, and all that is true. That's a different message. But in this context, understand when we harden our heart, we in our pride decide we can do this on our own. I've got this. I don't need to submit to what Jesus is telling me. Jesus grieves and he's even angry because he's opened his arms for good to bless us and we stiff him stiff arm him and say no I'll do it my way instead don't do that <laughs> We submit to Jesus for our good. Certainly for his honor, for his fame, for his glory, but for our good. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Won't do all six verses, just 1, one through 3. You want to walk in the good that God provides. Please hear me. I want you to walk in the good. I want you to walk in the good. I want to walk in the good. But to get there, you have to submit. So listen to Psalm 1-1 before I cry too much. Psalm 1-1. Blessed. That's how that psalm begins. The whole Psalter. You know, one, chapters 1 through 150, it begins with blessed. That's a good clue right there. Blessed. Blessed is the person who doesn't do certain things and does certain things. Pretty, pretty cool. Blessed is the person who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. But blessed is the person who does delight himself in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night and he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. It brings forth its fruit in its season and its leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. Blessed. Blessed when we stop listening to the toxic voices that lead us to tragic places and end up in dangerous, dangerous, destructive, destructive results. We stop listening to our own voice or the voice of our friends that is contrary to what God has given us, what Jesus speaks to us. We say, I'm going to submit to Jesus. I'm going to submit to him. And when he tells me, this is how I want you to do life, I'm going to do it the way he says because the way he says is going to lead to a a blessed life. 
that even in wilderness moments, I'm not going to wilt. I'm going to take hold the hand of Jesus by submitting to what he says. And I'm going to thrive. There have been times when my children didn't take my advice when they were younger. Shocking, right? There were times when I didn't take my dad's advice or my mom's advice. I can't speak for my children, but I can speak for me. When my mom and dad said, Eric, I don't want you to do this anymore. Eric, you need to do this. When I did it, the result was good. When I didn't do it, the result was tragic. And they're imperfect parents. Jesus is perfect, and He is Lord. So today, celebrate the Lord who seeks your good and submit to the Lord for your own good. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Guys, I, I just want you to hear my heart because it comes from a place of, of my own brokenness. It comes from a place of my own deep desire trying to just share with you Please, I beg you, look, look to Jesus for the good. He's ready to give it. If you're, if you're connected to Christ by faith, you've been changed by his grace, and, 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 and you know him, then trust him and submit to him because he will take care of you. He will lead you to the green pastures, the still waters. He'll restore your soul. He'll lead you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He'll lead you through the valley of the shadow of death so that you fear no evil. He'll, he'll provide a table before you in the presence of your enemies. He'll anoint your head with oil and your cup will run over. Trust him. You, we show our trust to him by submitting to him. Oh, follower of Jesus, please, I beg you. I beg you, submit to Jesus for your own good. If there are places in your life that you know that you're not submitting, just today, go ahead and relinquish those. There's grace on the other side, and that's the good news with, with Jesus and his wondrous mercy and love. There's, there's grace on the other side, and, and trust him even with the grace, and, but, but let go your stubborn heart. Let go and submit. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus today, I beg you, please choose Christ. Admit you're a sinner and that you believe Jesus died on your, for your sin on a cross and he was raised from the dead to give you new life. And commit your life to him. And he'll forgive your sin and bring you into his family forever. Forever. 
But please, oh please, don't stay the same. Now, Father in heaven, I pray that you would do a mighty work of grace in my life, in our lives. Hit to the depths of who we are. So that we might walk in the good that you, Lord Jesus, provide. And it's in your name we pray.